Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. My name is Ted Richards and in this episode we're going to take a look at lithium with a particular focus on lithium from an ASX perspective. We're lucky to be joined by Senior Metals and Mining Equity Analyst Sam Catalano. Prior to Wilson's, Sam was based in London with close to 20 years in the UK, covering the mining sector from the sell side and working at Credit Suisse, Morgan Stanley and Macquarie. Has also worked on the buy side too, with experience at Schroeder's as a portfolio manager. Sam is now back in Australia and joined Wilson's last year. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Ted. Now, before we jump into it, uh, Sam, as I mentioned, you're a veteran of the industry. I mentioned that you've done time on both the buy side and the sell side, but uh, where I want to start off is you've actually started your career as a mining engineer on the tools, so to speak. Tell us about those early days. Yeah, sure. Seems a long time ago now, uh, given the, the extent of time spent in the in the finance industry as a research analyst. But yeah, originally, look, I'm, I'm originally from Brisbane. I studied mining engineering uh, at uh, UQ and uh, immediately did what most uh, Queensland uh, mining engineers did uh, about 20 odd years ago and, and for the hundred before that and went and worked in Mount Isa. Um, so I worked in uh, the deep copper mine there for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, as you say, I got the, the sort of at the coal face or at the copper face experience. And uh, look, at, at some point I, uh, I, uh, I wanted to transition away from living in Mount Isa. So, uh, so I became an equity analyst. All right. And for someone that's been in the industry so long and, and passionate about what you do, maybe if we could just follow on to what, what do you love about the mining industry? Oh, look, I mean, yeah, as, as you pointed out, Ted, um, you know, I've sort of seen it from a number of different perspectives, obviously, as an engineer on the sell side, and then yeah, as, a, as an institutional investor on the buy side as well. Um, but the thing that really, I guess, I, I love is that it, it does keep changing and evolving. And it is absolutely critical to you know, our modern lives. Um, you know, I think sometimes it has a bad reputation, obviously, being you know, a dirty industry, as it were. But, you know, as we'll talk about a little bit more today, the, the fact is that the industry is transitioning to be absolutely critical to the decarbonisation thematic that, that we're going to see, the electrification of the global economy, decarbonisation of, of the, the, the energy systems over the next few years. Um, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go forward today, I'm sure. But, you know, basically the, 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 the maximum that uh, you, know, you often hear from, from, uh, from people that in and around the mining industries is that look around your home, um, if it's not grown, it's mined. So, you know, it's of critical importance. All right. Now, we're going to speak about lithium today, as, as I touched on earlier. Maybe if we could start off with a bit of a, 
a lithium 101 for those that may not be aware about this metal. Sam, let's just start off. What is the what is the value in lithium? Yeah, sure. So, look, traditionally, um, lithium was was used uh, or is used in ceramics, um, glass. Uh, there's medical applications. You know, some some uh, some people might uh, might remember it as being a sort of mind-altering drug that was uh, uh, is given to people sometimes. Um, but now the important thing to think about in lithium is that is lithium-ion batteries. So the abs the overwhelming lion's share of demand going forward for this industry is going to come from the growth in battery technology for use in things like electric vehicles, mostly electric vehicles, but also you know, different forms of energy storage. Um, you know, for example, if we want to move towards renewable forms of energy um, as actually dominating the energy mix, then the other thing we need to do is develop battery technology such that that energy can be stored. You know, when the when the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing, those intermittent forms of energy need uh, need storage. So it's all about EV growth, electric vehicle growth, uh, and also just the general decarbonisation of the entire energy mix. So of critical importance. Um, is lithium in how most of those batteries are constructed. Well, if we kind of go back to where we started this with your career and looking at over the last 20 years, was there a point in time, Sam, when the industry really started to, to shift from being you know, the ceramics of what it is in the past and, and all about the lithium ion batteries and EVs in the future? Maybe if you could t tell us a bit about you know, the catalyst of what, when you saw the industry change. Yeah, absolutely. And Look, it's, had, it's it's fairly recently, um, to, to be honest. Um, yeah, and, and let's and by that I mean perhaps the last five to ten years. You know, we've really started to see you know, the acceleration in electric vehicle production and you know, the acceleration in forecasts of where electric vehicle production is going. Um, so it's it's extremely recent. Um, and that creates its own problems. So you've got an industry here that was you know, arguably fairly niche, smaller scale, that now is being thrust through this thematic, this decarbonisation thematic, being thrust front and centre um, towards being a large industry of significant scale. And that is not an easy thing to, for an industry to do, to transition um, to, from a small-scale industry to a large-scale industry in a short amount of time. And that's why you, know, you probably, your listeners have seen and heard uh, a lot of talk about, about lithium as being in short supply. Well, if indeed you know, most forecasters are forecasts for electric vehicle production and growth and replacement of internal combustion engine cars over the next few years, if those are anywhere near accurate, then the industry on the supply side is really going to struggle to keep up because it's not an easy thing to do to just suddenly increase capacity and production of something like lithium or indeed across any mining um, commodity. Uh, and also produce it in the volumes required and to the spec required. And I think that's something that's probably underappreciated as well, is that this isn't just a mining commodity. Yes, it's mined from the ground, but you need to produce 
a particular specification of chemical at the end of the day to be able to be used in a battery. So there's a whole whole host of things that need to go right uh, for you know the battery maker or the electric vehicle producer to get the lithium to put in their battery um, for it to, to all work out. Maybe if we could just just touch on that, if you could provide us you know at a high level about that process, are there different forms of lithium? What are the risks in the process? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, look, there, there is there is only one element, lithium. It's uh, for those that remember the periodic table, it's the lightest metal. Um, so it's uh, it's uh, very early on in the periodic table, but it occurs, uh, can occur in a number of different forms um, within the ground. So for the purposes of this of this podcast, um, the main types that that your listeners will probably hear about or need to know about is uh, spodumene. Um, so that is a lithium oxide and it occurs as a hard rock that is mined um, in the traditional sense. When people think about a mine, that's, that's how it's extracted. And then there is also lithium in brine. So this is basically um, you know, historic um, deep aquifers where the lithium sits in solution. Uh, and is then pumped out and extracted out of that solution uh, through evaporation and, and various other techniques. Uh, so you have two main forms, lithium in hard rock or spodumene, um, and then you have lithium in brine. Um, in Australia, we have the majority of uh, lithium production coming from spodumene, or the majority of global spodumene comes from Australia. Um, and a lot of the brine production uh, comes from places like South America. Okay, that's fascinating. Let's zoom in on the sector right now because there is so much um, recent activity and the, the demand for, for lithium growing. At the time of the recording, it's Friday the 12th of May and we've had a, a merger this week. Maybe, um, Sam, let's just start, start off there and, and why did that merger go ahead? Why is it important for, for listeners to be aware of? Yeah, sure. So this week we've had the, the announcement of the intention of Olchem uh, and Levent uh, to, to merge. Um, Olchem being an Aussie listed um, lithium producer, Levent being US uh, based. And, you know, together they would create the third largest uh, lithium producer in the world after Albemarle and, and SQM. Uh, it would be a company that would span the lithium value chain um, through across different types of products. So I mentioned spodumene before and brines. They would be heavily invested in both of those and produce both of those, as well as a number of different specialty lithium chemicals sort of further downstream uh, as well. Uh, so, so very much uh, a company of significant scale um, and breadth, uh, but geographically also in, in, the, in the lithium space. Why did that go ahead? Or why do I think that's a good idea? Well, yeah, ostensibly, the the reasons given by Allchem and, and Levent are around benefits to scale. Now, normally, you know, in isolation, when you see a big merger where the, the key rationale is simply just benefits to scale, I would argue that's a relatively weak rationale. However, in, in, in this case, in the mining industry and particularly in such an immature industry as the lithium mining industry, the lithium extraction industry, is that benefits to scale of huge strategic importance. Um, Effectively, what the scale brings at this early or embryonic almost stage of the the evolution 
of the lithium industry is it it brings the ability of um, of these suppliers to better take advantage of the opportunities they have to develop new supply. So for example, it would give a supplier or the combined company in this case, a better ability to um, have access to new exploration tenements that might be prospective for, for lithium, whether that be across spodumene or brines. It gives them the opportunity to actually pursue and study um, multiple different opportunities rather than if you're a smaller company, you can probably only do one at a time. And these things take a lot of time. Um, it gives the opportunity to be able to present you know, a, a larger offering to downstream consumers uh, of lithium products. And, and finally, you know, this is a very capital intensive industry, as all mining is. You know, to construct and operate a mine and a processing facility is not a cheap thing to do. Um, having scale uh, does typically allow better access to capital and cost-efficient capital as well. So look, the, why, is, why is this merger being proposed? In my view, it's about, um, yeah, it's about getting all those benefits and being able to, to start getting this industry, the supply side of the lithium space, up and producing and, and growing production as is required by the energy transition. Does that mean that you think that there's further M&A activity likely to come? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I've, I've sort of made a couple of comments here today already about the the sort of early stage, you used the word embryonic earlier, um, uh, the, the nature of the, the lithium industry as, as it goes through its, its evolution. Um, and I think we will need to see more of this. You know, we'll need to see scaling up um, of businesses overall in terms of that diversification that I mentioned. We'll need to see scaling up of individual assets as well. So, you know, one of the implications that I see of, of this type of activity for perhaps the earlier stage um, explorers in this space is that, you know, they may end up <clears throat> spending more time and money at an earlier stage drilling out and defining larger resource bases rather than perhaps just drilling out enough resource to then race towards developments and race towards first cash flow. You know, if this is an industry where the entire scale is changing and the expectations around what a, an attractive deposit looks like are changing, then perhaps you might get these early stage um, companies spending more time drilling out and defining larger and larger resources. And that, at the end of the day, would have the impact of perhaps attracting capital interest from different sources that maybe haven't been that interested in the lithium space till now. Yeah, so that, that was my next question. So yeah, why have the, the major miners, Rio, BHP, stayed out of lithium so far? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, uh, uh, Rio, just, just to be clear, um, look, Rio, um, yeah, they uh, have a project in Europe, which is challenged from a permitting perspective called JADA. Um, they also uh, recently bought into the Rincon uh, deposit in, in Argentina. So Rio Tinto have uh, shown some interest in the space, but it's you know, very difficult, I think, for a company the size of Rio and, and of course, BHP to 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 change their entire mix, given them being so large and the lithium industry being you know, relatively 
young and small by comparison, um, you know, it's not, it doesn't really make a huge difference to the overall mix of the big miners at this point. So, you know, if you take BHP, Rio, but then think of other big miners, you know, like, uh, like Glencore, Anglo-American, I mean, I think overall it is, you know, glaring by its omission the 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 non-involvement or the the limited involvement that those companies have in the lithium space and look i think that's been for 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 good reason to this point those companies typically will operate in industries of significant scale um, where they can leverage their balance sheet muscle to actually you know invest where others can't to expand production they like assets that are large, long life, expandable um, and dependable. So if they're going and investing billions and billions of dollars, they want an asset that's going to be around for you know, 30, 40, 50 more years uh, and give them the ability to grow production and use their balance sheet where required. And you know, the, the, the lithium space, at least to this point, hasn't been an industry that really fits with that criteria. Um, you know, perhaps as we go forward and we get the, the, the uh, I guess, you know, further money going into studies and exploring for lithium, we may start to see um, some more assets and some more companies if consolidation continues, that perhaps have the scale and the characteristics that might be attractive to more attractive to, to some of those uh, some of those bigger miners who've uh, sort of stayed out of the uh, stayed out for now. Sam, you recently initiated coverage of five ASX listed lithium companies. Before we speak to, to those in a bit more detail, I'm just fascinated by how you apply evaluation to a, a lithium producer. Sure. Um, so look, it's you know, we we obviously take a view on the lithium price on the basis of, of supply demand uh, for the most part. Yeah, and that's a that's our starting point. Is we have to make some assumptions about where the price is going. I think in the course of this this um, this podcast, you know, I've spoken a little bit of, about you know an industry transitioning, huge demand, difficulties to grow supply. You know, we see a structural deficit in lithium between demand and supply. Um, you know, basically compounding itself over the course of the next 10, 20 years. Um, now, in the near term, you know, there, there, there may be different years when supply slightly overshoots demand. But overall, the thematic here is for an industry that is in structural undersupply. And so, you know, that means that we're looking for you know, fairly robust pricing um, to, to, to stay for, for at least um, the, the medium term, you know, perhaps for the longer term. Um, and so we use that. Um, to, to obviously get our, our valuations and forecast earnings and cash flows for, for the companies. Um, I think that often you know, other forecasters out there using traditional um, commodity for price forecast techniques, um, you know, some of those techniques, I won't go into too much detail here now, um, perhaps might not be 100% suitable and applicable to an industry going through such a huge transition um, as as the you know the, the decarbonisation thematic is doing for something like lithium, so you know there is a risk here as well uh, that I dig into in a lot of my research uh, that a lot of the market is undercooking where the the lithium price will end up um, over the course of the next ten years or so at least. 
Samuel, demand is growing all around the world. Are there particular demand hubs or pockets that are facing particular supply risk? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, in terms of demand hubs, um, China China is the, <laughs> the biggest one, as it is with, with most commodities. Um, and and you know, China is, is trying to put its foot on um, a lot of, of different lithium supply around the world um, in order to, to feed its sort of hungry auto industry uh, and, and broadly, you know, energy storage uh, industry. Uh, but outside of that, you know, just think about, uh, you know, the, the, the key big hubs for auto production, and you're probably going to be most of the way right of where the big demand hubs for lithium are going to be. So North America and Europe. Uh, being the other two major ones. I think you know, what we see there is that China, has, as I mentioned, been scouring the world and, and has, has tried to secure, you know, China Inc, as it were, has tried to secure um, supply from different sources, has wrapped up a lot of the supply already coming out of Australia. Um, North America and Europe have been slower on the uptake uh, in terms of you know the, the, the regimes in charge in, in both of those different regions to actually start focusing on these critical minerals that are needed for this for the next phase of I guess economic evolution evolution. Um, so North America is relatively fortunate in that there is a mineral endowment um, on that continent that will take time but um, you know should be able to to help uh, plug that gap regionally. The area that I think is 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 most, uh, I guess, in trouble from a supply demand perspective is Europe. You know, there's clearly a big auto uh, manufacturing industry and broadly, um, you know, regional equipment manufacturing industry across Europe. Um, however, two things, you know, the European endowment for lithium is is um, is very low on a relative basis compared to other continents uh, around. And secondly, obviously, Europe being highly developed, um, yeah, it's, it's with a very involved um, set of permitting regulations in all the different Euro differing European countries. It can be quite a tricky place uh, to get operations up and running. So I think that Europe in particular is going to struggle to be able to, to meet um, the demand requirements that it will see domestically. So therefore, it will have to look elsewhere. Um, now, normally in most commodities, that might not be a problem because you know, these commodities, are, you know, Europe doesn't have a huge amount of iron ore either, but they manage to make a lot of steel. Um, but in the case of lithium, because of this race that's been taking place over the past you know, five years, certainly, you've said, I mentioned before, a lot of the, the growing supply and certainly the existing supply has already been um, wrapped up or contracted to, to other parts of the world. So for Europe, I think it's going to be a real challenge to make sure they can access the lithium units and indeed other critical materials um, for, for the energy transition. Um, and in that context, I think, you know, and when we get to talking about some of our preferences in the sector, um, you know, Africa, I think at the moment produces basically zero lithium, um, but has a huge mineral endowment across different parts of, of the African continent in di differing countries. You know, that potentially looms large 
as a, as a source of supply for, for Europe going forward. Now, Sam, at the, at the start of the discussion, you mentioned how far the sector's come in, in such a long way, in particular the last five years. At this point in time, I'm just, just interested before we get into the companies, how does this industry compare to, to say, other commodities? Yeah, I mean, look, one, one of the interesting features, I mean, that, that's a very broad question and uh, technical listeners will, will, will probably uh, be yelling at me because there are a lot of differences. But I, I think in the terms of you know, the context of this, this podcast, um, in thinking about investment, you know, there's been a lot of press and, 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 and I guess, noise and headlines around things like the lithium sector and, and the energy transition. But we've done a little bit of analysis that, that showed that, interestingly, the lithium developer and producer space on the ASX is actually relatively under-owned versus um, you know, companies of similar market caps producing or exploring for different commodities like copper, iron ore, or gold. So at the moment, on average, you know, your sort of mid-cap um, lithium developer in Australia listed on the ASX probably only has about 10% um, institutional investor ownership, whereas you know, other commodities like gold or, or copper, you know, that's going to be sort of over 40 or 50% um, for the most part. So it's a sector that is under-owned by institutions. You can interpret that a couple of different ways, but let's say that it means that retail investors in particular or strategic investors have actually bought up the sector strongly and perhaps some institutions uh, you have know, been slow to move and maybe think the sector overall is, is, is fully priced. That could be an argument. I mean, I think that, as I mentioned earlier, that broadly the market is undercooking its lithium price forecasts. So I would argue the sector overall isn't um, necessarily overpriced. But what it really means is that when we do spot uh, those individual equities exposed to this thematic that are attractively valued, then you know, really, I think investors should should move and move quickly, uh, because the, the thematic longer term is not going to wait for them. And the other thing to mention there is that, look, Australian investors in the mining sector broadly and lithium being part of that have been very spoiled um, for a long period of time. You know, we have a fantastic mining industry here. You know, great stable regime on a regulatory basis, excellent technical skills. Uh, and, and so it's very comforting for a lot of Australian investors to invest in Australia, for example. But a lot of the low-hanging fruit in this sector as well, in the lithium space, you know, has been bought up. Uh, and arguably, you know, some of the domestic easy-to-own names are relatively expensive. So perhaps as we move forward here, Australian investors, whether it's through the product type, the asset quality, or indeed the location of the asset, might need to compromise a little to, to, to gain you know, reasonably um, priced exposure that should have significant upside. So, you know, there may be a bit of an evolution in, in the types of companies that Australian investors are looking at to get exposure to this thematic. Okay, we had a disclaimer at the beginning and, and there will be one at the end of the podcast episode that nothing discussed in this podcast is, is investment advice and speak with your advisor before acting on anything discussed. I just want to get that out of the way once again, but um, I do want to zoom in on a couple of companies that you are covering and speak about your, your thoughts on those companies. So where should, where should we start off? So, yeah, look, Atl Atlantic Lithium and Leo Lithium 
Uh, they're two of our preferred picks uh, in the space. Before I zoom into, into those in, in, uh, individually, let me just say that both of those sort of fits with some of the thematics that I've been speaking about um, you know, on the podcast today. Uh, is, you know, for example, I talked about Europe being undersupplied and Africa needing to loom large uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in how Europe might be supplied longer term. Both Atlantic Lithium and Leo Lithium have African-based developments uh, that they're progressing. Um, also, I mentioned before that a lot of the domestic uh, assets uh, have been bought up uh, and probably are well-priced in, in the Aussie space. So perhaps compromises do need to be made. And we see that Aussie investors, you know, for the most, in parts at least, um, have been a little bit hesitant to invest offshore in continents like Africa. Um, but I think as we go forward and it becomes increasingly apparent that you know, some of these projects are good projects. Um, but they're not located in WA, they're located in jurisdictions in Africa, and they're priced accordingly at the moment, which means that there should be significant upside if they get things right. So in the case of Atlantic Lithium, um, look, this is a, a, a cracking little company uh, in, in my view. I say little, uh, it's a market cap of a, of a few hundred million at this point. Uh, it only listed on the ASX in September of last year. I think it's very well, uh, sorry, very under known, um, under-owned, um, and you know, not particularly sort of well, well known at this point. And therein lies the opportunity. Uh, they've got a project called the Iwoya project, uh, which is a spodumene project located in Ghana. Um, and at this point, I would say that it's really important that we distinguish between the different jurisdictions within Africa. And Africa is a continent, you know, it's, it's you know, in terms of size, um, it's huge. It's got 54 different jurisdictions. And I think that often from an investment perspective, sometimes, you know, some people can, can amorphously sort of lump a lot of the African nations together. As I say, 54 different nations. Ghana is a great place to do business. Um, you know, it has a long, proud mining history. It's a major gold producing country, has been for a significant amount of time. Um, you know, if you look at different uh, external risk ranking metrics, uh, you know, one of the, which the Fraser Institute, which I've used in, in my research recently, you know, they rank uh, Ghana around the same level of risk and attractiveness as the state of Victoria um, for mining investment. So, so it's, it's definitely, Ghana is a good place to do business. And I think that investors should feel comforted um, with that as a jurisdiction. But the asset that, uh, that Atlantic have, yeah, they're, they're growing the resource base. Uh, they have a pre-feasibility study already complete. They'll be doing a definitive feasibility study, which will be uh, released at some point uh, in the next few months. Um, they have an asset which the resource is still growing. It's close to the port. It's close to infrastructure like transport and power lines. Uh, and the key kicker here for a warrior is that the larger lithium company, Piedmont Lithium, which is also listed on the ASX, uh, but also on NASDAQ, uh, they have invested in Awoya and in Atlantic in different ways, such that the upshot is that they are funding the lion's share of the capital to develop the project. So the funding requirements on Atlantic and Atlantic shareholders uh, will be minimal. 
um, over the course of the next sort of year, two years, as they look to progress the project through to development. They also, so Piedmont uh, have committed to buy half of the material that Atlantic will be producing from Awoya. But what it means is the other half is yet uncommitted. And if we go back to my initial comments um, on this podcast, saying that Europe in particular needs to secure supply, well, Atlantic will have around 150,000 tonnes per annum of spodumene, which is a reasonable amount, um, uncommitted. Uh, so that certainly makes it an attractive proposition for any consumers or indeed potential acquirers um, to, to, to look at Atlantic. Um, the other stock that we like is uh, African-based as well, is Leo Lithium. Um, so this is, a, this is a company with a huge resource uh, in, uh, in the country of Mali. Um, so this is a you know, world-class world -class scale uh, resource lithium spodumene um, resource. And they are developing that in conjunction with the Chinese um, producer, the Chinese lithium major Gangfeng Lithium, who are their joint venture partner in, in developing Gulamina. Um, we expect them at the moment to be in production in about 12 months time. The stock is trading at a huge discount to comparable peers on the basis of where it is operating. Now, it's here that I should put the caveat out there that Mali is not Ghana. Mali has had a few problems and a few challenges from a geopolitical perspective. You know, there have been a couple of military coups over the last few years, which, which is clearly something scary for, uh, for a lot of investors uh, to hear when they hear words like coup. What I would say, though, is that the regimes that have been in charge over the past little while, and look, when I was based in London, I covered a number of gold-producing companies that operated in Mali who, through those coup periods, suffered minimal disruption, if any, um, at all. I think the, the, the sort of the authorities understand that the mining industry is critical to the economics of the nation overall and uh, very reticent to, to um, interrupt that in any way. So, you know, with that as a backdrop, you know, there is a little bit of risk there, but everything has to price. Um, and, you know, if you look at how, uh, how this company is trading versus its, its closest peers, it, it's at a fraction of, 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 uh, of, of the, the trading metrics of others. So you know, on our numbers, it's trading on around 25% of, of what we would value it at. Um, now, whether or not the market is willing to pay 100% full freight for an asset based in Mali, I'm not sure. But what I am confident of is that, you know, over the next course of the next 12 months, when a company that goes from producing you know, zero revenue to start selling spodumene and the cash starts rolling in the door, I think that could be a catalyst for the market to reassess the type of discount that it's placing on Mali exposure. Because if the cash is coming in, then you know, cash is cash and, uh, and and perception is something entirely different. Well, Sam, we might wrap it up there. Um, thanks very much for, for chatting on the episode today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. I think we need to do it again sometime. Um, it's been great to hear directly from an expert like yourself and, and a real veteran of the, uh, the mining and lithium industry. 
If you're interested in anything discussed today, please speak with your Wilson's advisor. And if you're not yet a client, you can request a call through the contact us section of the Wilson's website. See you next time on the Invest Invest podcast. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.